control them? everybody welcome back to uncanny cinema we are going to be looking at a musical this time around and this is one of our special episodes this is our april fool's day switcheroo so we did this last year where we looked at the last jedi and this is our uh, second episode doing this although i've had it uh done a similar thing for christmas we did a Christmas episode for Willy Wonka as like Uncanny Cinema Christmas present, and we will have one in the summer. That way there will be like three times throughout the year where we will have an actual like famous film that we are looking at for um, for the show, unlike our usual, you know, kind of more under the radar, obscure or overlooked, underloved, that kind of film. Um, so what we selected for this time is Cabaret. We don't uh, do a ton of musicals on here. I'm not opposed to them. They just kind of have to fit, and um, you know, we somebody has to like want to do it or you know have a reason to do it or whatever. And so I was just looking for something uh, different for this one. So I thought uh, we would do the 1972 film version of Cabaret, based on the you know somewhat based on the play uh, stage version, which itself was based on a like kind of memoir or semi-autobiographical memoir novel, I believe. Um, so we are looking at 1972's Cabaret. It was directed by Bob Fosse, the famous choreographer, dancer, director, writer, and actor Bob Fosse. He also worked on Damn Yankees, Pippin, Chicago, and many other theatrical productions. Um, and then his film productions, he worked on, he did Cabaret, directed as well as Lenny, the Lenny Bruce um, biopic with Dustin Hoffman, and All That Jazz. Those are probably his most famous film productions, but he was involved in others as well. It was written by Jay Allen. Uh, she had a career in film, TV, stage, and prose, and she wrote the, uh, the screenplay for Marnie, Alfred Hitchcock's Marnie. She did Death Trap, uh, which is a really good kind of like... Um, thriller sort of murder mystery type thing with um, Michael Caine. Uh, she also did the 1990 version of Lord of the Flies and she worked on a bunch of other stuff. Um, those are just some of the credits that I pulled out. Uh, Cabaret is, like I said, we are focused on, when we do the April Fool's switcheroo, we are focused on a famous film and this very much is a very famous film. In fact, it won eight Oscars. So it won Best Actress for Liza Minnelli, Supporting Actor for Joel Grey, Director for uh, Bob Fosse, and he beat Francis Ford Coppola for The Godfather for this film, actually. Uh, it won Cinematography, Art Direction, Sound, Song, and Score Adaptation, which I think that has now been changed to just, like, it's just the score category now. Um, but it won that, and Editing. So it won eight Oscars. So it holds the record for the most wins by a film that did not win Best Picture because Best Picture went to The Godfather. Uh, and then Francis Ford Coppola. I was surprised to see that Francis Ford Coppola actually didn't win director for The Godfather. I just assumed he had. But he did win for Godfather Part Two two years later when it won Best Picture and then he won director. 
Um, <clears throat> so some other uh, information about the film. We've got uh, Liza Minnelli plays uh, Sally Bowles. Michael York uh, plays Brian Roberts. And Joel Gray is the master of ceremonies. Those are probably the, the biggest names associated with this. And those are three of the biggest characters. Uh, but we also have Helmut Grimm as Baron Maximilian von Huhn and Fritz Wepper as Fritz Wendel, or it might be Wepper and Wendel, since he's probably German. And then uh, Marissa Berenson as Natalia Laudauer, uh, Landauer. So uh, those last two are sort of like the B-plot characters. Uh, Liza Minnelli and Michael York are our main characters. And then Joel Gray is the master of ceremonies, and he plays... He's within the Kit Kat Club. Um, he's almost like sort of like in a Greek chorus type role, although he doesn't really comment on things that are happening. He just kind of sings and dances throughout the play. Um, but it's 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 a similar kind of role um, to that. Yeah, and I would say that that's kind of the the crux of it for this one. It uh, it's it's adapted from the stage musical from the '60s. Um, they did make some changes, so I'm sure we'll address that as we go along. Um, but some of those changes are in, you know, they had certain rationales of why they wanted to remove certain things. Some changes were to revert things back to the original source material that the play ignored or just didn't want to do, or the, the musical rather ignored. Okay. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's some key background here for Cabaret. Uh, on the panel, I have three big musical lovers and all three actually have been involved in a theatrical production of cabaret when i booked <laughs> them i knew two of them had been and then the third person was like oh i actually was involved in that too it's like okay so i uh, i saw that production uh in college so we we all have the same uh, point of origin here with with cabaret to a bit um but all in very uh different points of view i was in the audience one person was a producer, one person was a director, and one person was in the cast. So we are coming at Cabaret from uh, some from different places, but uh, definitely some shared history there. So um, coming back here to the show for the first time in a good while, we have Chris. And Chris, you were the uh, director on Cabaret, along with uh, various other theatrical productions in college. Yes, I was also in the audience, so... I guess we're tied on that one. Sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, also joining us here, we have our regular Jess, who was, uh, I don't know exactly when this one drops in relation to everything, but I think I think the last she was on chronologically was Pinocchio, which she hated with a, yes. with a, with a passion. Fuck um, that movie very much. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so she is back now for a, uh, for a musical, and Jess was a member of the Cabaret cast. So uh, mm -hmm. welcome back, Jess. Thank you. And we also have joining us after a good while. I'm not sure the last time she was on an episode. She's often been on our musical episodes. I brought her in, and that's when she told me, oh, I, I produced that show. And so uh, we have Katie coming on here uh, to join us for Cabaret. Yes, I was often um, taking tickets during the show. I think this is the show where I had to drive a van so that I could get people to see the show. Um, oh my God. Later learned that you need a special license for those kinds of fans, which I did not have. So um, 
you know, the really glamorous parts, as always. Okay, so I think we can just dig in here. Like I said, all members of our crew for this one are, um, you know, uh, big musical fans. I myself am probably the the least uh, of the of the four in terms of like being a musical fan. I like some musicals. I some musicals I like a lot, um, but I'm it's not something that I necessarily seek out. But Cabaret is one that uh, I, I did see that stage version in college, and then. I watched the movie for the first time probably only two or three years ago. Uh, it been something I was aware of. I, I don't think I knew that it had as many like uh, Academy Awards and everything, that it was as well-regarded at the time. Uh, I, I think I was just like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll check out Cabaret. Um, so, yeah, this was like a pretty legit big deal at the time. I don't know how it's viewed now within like the theater scene. I don't think it's like viewed any more poorly in terms of like its reception or you know like that over time it's been thought to be like like bad or like the oscars got it wrong or anything like that but yeah i don't know in terms of like people who are big fans of the musical or people in theater where they fall on it but uh yeah we'll just open this up and uh what do we make of cabaret i think i'll start by correcting um the very convoluted history of its origin <laughs> it's uh this film is based on the broadway play which is based on a non-musical play which is based on the series of short stories by christopher isherwood uh but is also uh getting rid of a lot of the things that the previous works added and going back to the original story so like tracing where bits and pieces of it came from are really interesting because it was like the fourth in a chain of changes, but then they kind of, the director and the producer realized that it was the fourth in a series of changes and kind of went back to the source material for a lot of the the script that ends up on screen. Chris, when you say the original material, do you mean the uh, short stories by Isherwood's short stories? Have you read those? No, I checked the book out of the library to read them while I was directing the play, and Classic. I had a DHD and uh, regular classes and was directing the play, <laughs> and I didn't. Um, I'll, I'll do you one better. I had actually bought the book at um, the OU, the, the OU um, the bookstore. bookstore, and then, did, and, and then eventually did not read it and then donated it back to me <laughs> and used bookstore at some point, so... <laughs> But it was in my possession to not read for quite a number of years. We all did our very research. Char- <laughs> very charitable of you. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so, yeah, it's interesting kind of the changes that we do see. There there are major changes between the musical and the play. And I think we could do an entire podcast just about those changes, and we yes. probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> for people who, for all the theater nerds that are here for this podcast instead of the film buffs. We got your back. <laughs> yeah, I truly like. Um, I think I did watch or like watch most of this film once when I was in the production in freshman year of college. <laughs> like, I gave it a half-assed watch, like, and probably wasn't paying attention to most of it, and was like, "This isn't what we're doing." <laughs> but I watched it today, and I was like, "This is fucking great." Like, I enjoyed the hell out of this. Um, yeah, I really loved what, all of it, what it was doing. Um, yeah, there's there's a nostalgia factor for me, but there's also just, like, a respect for, like, what the film does. So, 
Yeah, I actually, the first time I saw Cabaret was, um, actually saw the Broadway revival, um, <sighs> when we saw, yeah, it was, it was sort of very random because we, we got tickets through TKTS, <sighs> and I hadn't known, I had heard of Cabaret, this was when I was in high school, I'd heard of it, and I knew it was, like, a fancy musical, <laughs> and also Adam, Adam Pascal from Rent was in yes, it, so I was like, the MC. Gonna, yeah, gonna have to see this. So we got tickets, but um, my brother Jack was with us. He had to be, I don't know, eight tops, eight or nine. And, you know, we didn't know what the show was about. And, and it's not like we were, um, we, it's not as though we were, st- we were staying with my, my aunt in New Jersey. So we had to take a bus into the city. So we, we get to the theater and then the, the theater staff were like, this is not a movie for, this is not a musical for a child. Um, my mom was like, what are we going to do with them? What are we supposed to do with them? Do you have a daycare, ma'am? <laughs> so she was like, he won't understand it anyway. And then we took Jack to see the production of Cabaret. And, um, you know, he doesn't understand it. Uh, he doesn't didn't understand a lot of it, but the part with the gorilla really st- stood out to him in his mind as well as the part where there were, and this was only for the, the the musical wasn't included in the play, but there's a a pineapple song that, and he remembered when the pineapples dropped from the ceiling and, and thankfully that was it. So. Oh, yeah. So it's it's, it's mostly content that included fruit is what stuck with him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't pick up the subtle nuances, uh, as right. much, which is good because they are upsetting nuances. Yes. Um, uh, but yeah, so yeah, I was go just gonna ahead. say uh, for myself. Yeah, I uh, I saw the stage production in college that you all were a part of and enjoyed that. I had never seen this, like I said, until a couple years ago, and I you know I've watched a lot of famous musicals, ones that have won Academy Awards or were nominated or just like considered big deals. And there's plenty of them where I'm like, yeah, I get why people are into it, but I don't really care and I don't really need to watch it. Like The Sound of Music. Like, I mean, I've, I've seen it, mm. but like I, I've seen it once. And if it was on TV, maybe I would like tune in for a song or something. And then it's like, OK, I'm good. I don't need the rest. Um, but no, Cabaret was one that when I watched it, I was really impressed by a lot of aspects of it. Um, in terms of the staging, in terms of the way they presented songs, there's a few in particular that really stand out uh this is only the second time i've seen it and you know the film version so i do have like something to comment on of like kind of like a you know maybe a critique of it um but overall i definitely enjoy it i think they did a lot of really good and interesting stuff with it and i did i was reading some like reviews from the time and i don't know who was saying this but some film critic was arguing that it was succeeding because it was not being shot the way musicals traditionally are and so that it was basically like a film musical for people that don't normally like film musicals which again i'm not against them but i could definitely see that it's not like stagey and stuffy i mean the show shouldn't be based on the content of what's in it because there's a lot of sexuality uh going on um and there's like the backdrop of of nazis coming to power and so it's like this should not be like a stagey stuffy production um but they definitely don't do that and so they make it come alive in a lot of ways and so that's probably what uh made me like it enough to just like get it on blu-ray kind of right out of the gate 
Linton, it's interesting that you mentioned, because I agree that, that this this doesn't feel sort of stagey or stuffy, but what's weird is is that unlike a lot of, you know, movie musicals, most of the, the, the songs, or I think maybe all of them, except for, like, the Baby Nazi song, <laughs> actually are done on a stage. Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, And so I think in a way, you know, that I can see how, you know, it would really be more of a bummer if... if uh, it, it, it would be harder to pull off if they were singing these songs on the, you know, walking the streets a la right. The Sound of Music or something. Yeah. yeah, on that, I mean, I can just go ahead and address uh, something on that uh, since we're right there is like, I think part of the reason it doesn't come off that way, and I, I'm no expert at musicals, so I'm not entirely sure. I can't remember like how they shot The Music Man or how they shot, uh, you know, a Sound of Music or other things. But but it definitely pops out in, in rewatching it. There's a lot of extreme close-ups throughout the movie mm-hmm. where you are ex- like extreme close-ups. There's some pe- points where it's extreme close-ups of violence, like with Nazis. Sometimes it's extreme close-ups of songs and, and dancing. Um, sometimes it's extreme close-ups like during the, the Nazi song, uh, Tomorrow Belongs to Me, where we're like right on people's faces. And so it puts you, and there's other points throughout the movie, it's often sexuality, it's often violence or, or, and or dancing, you know, with these different things. Um, it puts you right there in the moment. So you're not, so I feel, I think that's why it doesn't feel stagey because you're not sitting in an audience viewing this stuff that just is happening up there. You're like right up in there as though you are a participant or you are a passerby who has seen this happen. So I think it makes the film feel more alive and it feels a lot more modern, like, because that's the kind of stuff you would see in like indie shit, not even musicals, but like indie stuff of the nineties would have that kind of like, you know, close ups and stuff where it feels gritty and real. Um, Some of you might be able to speak to that of maybe you've seen that kind of technique done with other film musicals i'm not sure but it definitely popped out to me this time around of how much they put you right there in with the action on screen yeah no it's so unique um just even from the first number vilkeman joel gray stares down the barrel of the camera and it's kind of like i'm gonna be your guide through this and it's it's like I don't know. You don't see that at all in movie musicals. Like someone who is like, I am on your side. I'm going to walk you through this. You know, uh, that's kind of the vibe you get from the beginning. Uh, Yeah. You make him sound... Jess, you make him sound much more like warm and welcoming. No, he's not. He's not. He's, I will guide you through this. He's, he's a not. tiny terror. But like, he's, Willy he's... Wonka might guide you through a tunnel. Exactly. I will guide you through No, this. no, no. I know. Exactly. But, like, we latch on to him in the first song because it's like, oh, okay, cool. This guy yeah. is, like, welcoming us. <laughs> Literally welcoming us. And then it's like, oh, this guy's fucked up. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I can talk for hours about the MC. He is so... Oh, that character is just so fucking brilliant i don't we'll um we'll have to have a separate podcast because i also have (laughs) thoughts and considerations about that but um chris i obviously you directed a stage production of this and not a musical (laughs) um so but in terms of you know the directing parts 
did you think? Oh, eloquence. The directing uh, part. Nailed it. Yeah. What did, what did you think of what the show was doing in terms of point of view? And also sort of, I know that there's a fair number of differences between the stage musical and, and the movie, but the parts that they emphasized and didn't emphasize, how did that sort of ping with your director's eye and experience? Yeah, I think that what they were emphasizing, and it's kind of what Lytton touched on, like this is a musical for non-musical fans. I think if you look at what came out of uh, what was cut from the stage show going into the movie, a lot of it is the non. Um, and for anyone who didn't look up this word on Wikipedia today, diegetic is uh, oh yeah, that's what I was the trying songs, to think of. <laughs> the songs that are happening um, are part of the real world of the story. I know we did a podcast on uh, once, and that's a musical that is diegetic. Also, Litton mm-hmm. only does podcasts about diegetic musicals. <laughs> So the word that's not true. We also did the apple. Religion. The diegetics. Did, uh, uh, the, I'm uh, not sure that all of the songs treatment. in the apple weren't diegetic because they were. It was like the people singing the songs. Well, shock treatment was on a TV stage. We can't. We can't. So do yeah, it. it's diegetics. Okay. Let's it all right. Anyway, so it means that the songs are happening in the real world. They're not. Like in The Sound of Music, where all of a sudden you'll stop the show and you'll do 16 going on 17. And it's, you know, as an audience, you understand that there's not two people really singing to each other here. But I think, I mean, Katie just gave me a look. (laughs) There are two people singing to each other, but you know, like, in the story... But they're yes, not it's, really. it's a way into their emotions. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's not what's happening in the real world of the story. <laughs> or it could be. You're going to tell me that Liesl was actually having a conversation. She doesn't seem capable of it. <laughs> That's <laughs> She is. Uh, so I think that, yeah, you see that they're very careful with what songs they keep in there. And then they add a few songs to kind of keep it working in that way. Where they want the story to be told on stage and off stage, but they don't want the, they don't want songs creeping into the real world of it. Cause I think, I think they're not wrong that when you're watching a movie, instead of watching a stage show, um, your kind of threshold for what's the word I'm looking for. Your, Artifice, a de- theatrical, I don't, device. it's a very normal word that I should know. <laughs> and I just can't come up with it right Fantasy. now. The like, like the threshold, your believability threshold oh, of a uh, film. Imagination. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> nope. Nope. There's uh, a real word for it. I know. I we'll, like get, we'll get right Chris with the Soros on a break. We'll be fine. Reasonable belief. We can cut this out. We can cut this out. A very normal word. Oh, no. We're leaving yeah. all of this in. Suspension of disbelief. Suspension of disbelief. Hey, You're right. There was there you go. We got there. I think that your suspension, I'm fine with leaving it all. Yeah. It was Give a it great ride. Um, your suspension of disbelief is a di- in a different place when you walk into a theater versus when you walk into a movie. And the movie can do things to kind of like move the needle. But this one, I think, was I think that Bob Fosse's goal was we don't want to cheapen the violence and cheapen like the backdrop that this is happening in by turning it into a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. We want this to be this is the real world. And I thought that was a really interesting choice to. I feel like also when you look at the time of it, I think it was a little more shocking than when we look at it now because we've seen 
you know, we have Jojo Rabbit. We have some wild depictions of Nazism in Germany at the time. But at the time, it was, like, still a very taboo subject. Yeah. Certain songs in this were banned in Germany, like, they're removed from the German version. Like, it was still a really touchy subject. And so to for them to have done the music, turned it into a musical with these catchy numbers um, and then brought it to the film uh, adaptation... I just think they were walking a really careful line, and I think they succeeded really well. And I know you guys were talking about the cinematography earlier as well, and I think that stands up like to this day. It's like beautifully shot for what it is. Way different than any other musical that I've seen in that time period. I think there have been others since that were similar. Um, but just I think they made a lot of choices to make it more realistic than what you would get out of the stage show. I, th- I think that you're probably right that, you know, when you're seeing a, a stage production of something where there, you know, people, you're not seeing them marching on the streets, even if, you know, they're singing about marching on the streets. But if they're actually on the streets, you know, there is this sense of like, oh, OK, well, now now these things are not connecting as well. Um, but I do I, I do think that I I, um, I guess we can talk about the, the stuff that was changed and added between the shows but but that that major subplot that was the sort of the b plot in the musical about the landlady and the her 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 suitor Fräulein Schneider Fräulein Schneider and Air Krangerbrunk and and he sold fruit and I thought that that and I thought that it was interesting that I I think that it makes sense that they changed didn't necessarily keep those songs in but it's interesting that they they took those parts out but then they added a another subplot that was also sort of about a romance the between a Jewish person story, and yeah. a non-Jewish person the, you know just I, less cute yeah but but not old people um right like and, young hot and, people cool <laughs> yeah old, old old people are gross um, and i think like and he was like also real... Jewish and then yeah. there was no yeah. conflict it, yeah, well, yeah, it... exactly. Surprise! Surprise cool. you! Happy ending. Great. Yeah, I, I, I did think that. I, I don't know the, the play well enough, the musical well enough to know, because I, I didn't read why they made the change. So maybe one of you will know, like, we'll be able to pinpoint, oh, here's probably why they took it out. But, I, but yeah, they, they, they altered why. the couple to a different couple in a diff, kind of a different storyline, but it mm-hmm. still has to do with, like, judaism and nazi germany in the 30s but yes. you know spoiler alert in this i i don't rem- i don't know how it goes in the play so somebody can fill me in in a second but in this the resolution is the guy who's in love with a lady who's jewish he's been presenting himself as christian <laughs> just to avoid you know, like, like, to, oh, to, like well, well i didn't realize it, if only i didn't realize it was so easy yeah well it's just so you easy. know just, well so, yeah. well here's the thing so he does that to avoid well, he's a foreigner too that might help to avoid oh was he what's that i don't know his name was fritz well, I think he said he was coming into the country and he signed his paper as... Well, he said, he's on, he said he was coming into Berlin, but I think I he was a Protestant. He was a country Jew. Yeah, unless okay. he was supposed to be Austrian or something. But um, but yeah, so basically he's trying to avoid anti-Semitism and then he's in love with her and her family won't you know, want them to be together. She's rich and he's poor, but, but the Judaism and Christianity thing is a big aspect. So then he reveals that he's Jewish and then they get married... And then the movie's like, well, 
end of that story. Cool. And, and, and here's the thing. That. And I, I was thinking about after the fact, like, all right, well, we're, so we're still in like early 30s Germany. So yeah, I don't like, know they're exactly. Still gonna be fucked, like... Right. Well, no, oh, no, no, no. But here's but, my thing. No. She's rich. They can just bounce. Well, well, exactly. Well, here's what I'm saying, though. Like, okay. I, I, like, they. So he, he used that, that to get out. Well, as far as the timeline of when they're in, you can't have their story end with like I don't know exactly when like the purges were happening, but it's not it's not the timeline of when this is set. So it's it's, it's later in the 30s when things start to go down, and so you can't really end their story with oh, and now the Nazis come for us, and so at best I think you could have ended their story with sort of a like feeling of impending doom like that that stuff's gonna like come down and but as chris pointed out she's super rich they could flee the country right now if they wanted mm-hmm. to and so it's it it, it leaves and it in a weird know. place because ultimately like well i mean not that we want these characters to like die but also what was the kind of point of their journey is is where we land on it yeah and you have like the sally bowles character who's like oh, I don't think it's all bad, it's politics, I don't need to worry about politics, but, like, both of those characters know very well, yeah. like, what's going on around them. So I feel like in the in the original stage show we talked about a little bit, it's the older couple, mm-hmm. um, it's the landlady and a, a grocer down the street, and this yes. is, like, in the so Weimar good. Republic, it was, it was, they were, it was, like, a very poor time lots of inflation yeah yeah like no one had money in berlin except for the baron in this movie Mm -hmm. um so and (laughs) the love interest now um so it's like it was a whole it hit i think it hit harder a because like i said they're old and it's very cute that they're in love with each other um she's also not the the landlady's not jewish the grocer is jewish um so it kind of becomes an issue but at the end of it like they love each other, but no one's going anywhere. Like I feel like in this new B story, there's a there's an out, and in that and in, in the original in the musical, you don't have that yeah. as much. Yeah, yeah. Like this is our reality. Well, so how how does it how does their story resolve in the stage play? So she um the uh, the way that the that goes is is that he proposes to her mm, and with a pineapple. Yeah, and then and then uh, the, their and, and correct me if I'm if I'm getting it wrong, but their engagement party is sort of the end of the first act. Yes, and so it's like super fun and ch- and everyone's having a good time. That's the oh, tomorrow belongs to me. That's the yeah. Uh, then there's a there's a big reveal that 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 there is like one of like the side characters that isn't in this really at all. Um, uh is wearing a Nazi armband and then and then everybody sort of not They're Ludwig. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, they and then people, and that's when they sing tomorrow belongs to me. And they so, do it in this one too. It's just in a different scenario. It's just in a different and, and I think it has a I think it has a different effect. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's it's terrifying in the yeah. in the show. In yeah, the gonna... musical I think it's very scary. In the yeah, movie it's like, oh Weird. Oh, I oh I think it's terrifying in the movie I version. I think I, it's scarier it's, in the musical. It is scary. It's scarier in the musical to me because they can like drive off at the end. Mm-hmm. 
In the in the movie, I would love in the, mu- I would, in the movie. Gotcha. Okay. I would love to talk about this because I've thought about it at length. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, we, we're so definitely going to be Go ahead. talking about it. Go ahead, Katie. Let me just wrap. I got distracted yeah. from the old people. Then in the second act, they have um, you know the crystal knocked happens, which they like drive by in this movie, which is it's like oh, are you guys just driving past crystal knocked. Wow. Cool. Um, they and then his shop gets all um like raided and broken up and everything and she the landlady decides that she is not going to marry him and they he doesn't leave they're still there together but they're you know the happy ending the happy story we were getting in the first act just comes to nothing because she doesn't she doesn't want the problem yeah Yeah. and then there's a sense of well that that's not not great and that there's (laughs) no sort of like like you said, Chris, there's no chance for an out for this guy who, I mean, maybe, but he's, he was a fruit guy and now his, you know, so it's, it's a very when, bleak When ending. proposing, the best thing he could give her is a pineapple. A and pineapple. she was also poor enough that she was like pumped but about it. That's like, it. Yep. Um, that's a like that's very, the, yeah, the level of money. Extravagant gift. You don't have money. Like that's. That's a flex. So, so, so yeah, it, it, so in comparison, you're right. It was a big flex. It was a big um, flex. <laughs> Give a pineapple. <laughs> that, that, yeah, in comparison to that, um, the and I, I don't know. I didn't see when I was reading, albeit not that long, about the changes. I didn't see a specific reason they changed that um, mm-hmm. to, like, a younger couple that are more their peers. Uh, I don't know why they changed the characters, but I do know that they – they they were removing the songs because those if you watch the stage show, the diegetic songs right that makes sense are all and in the Kit Kat Club still... and the non diegetic songs are all the, the there's like five songs that that couple sings okay. in the show it's like play, a big B plot they still play um it couldn't please me more on Sally's records like she yeah. dances to that like several times throughout the movie which it's cool that they like it still incorporated that um yeah that's a cool way like, to she, like to pay homage to stuff yes um and i think married was playing over the, yeah, married, the wedding ceremony and again. the pineapple song yeah. so um yeah i actually do have a note on this that i pulled from wikipedia so uh so they brought in hugh wheeler um he was not credited as the writer i already mentioned the writer um i think i uh, jay allen yeah i think that was it um but so i guess fossey wasn't like totally satisfied with the script where it was at so he brought in someone to kind of like ghost write and change some stuff so that was this guy hugh wheeler uh, Wheeler went back, so I'm just going to quote this. Wheeler went back to Isherwood's original stories in order to ensure a more faithful adaptation of the source material. In particular, Wheeler restored the subplot about the gigolo and the Jewish heiress. Wheeler also drew on gay author Christopher Isherwood's openness about his homosexuality to make the leading male character a bisexual man rather than the heterosexual as he had been in the stage musicals. So those changes actually do go back to the original source material. Now, I don't know if there was i mean if it's like kind of a chris it was like a memoir right basically a semi-autographical. yeah so, so and it I was mean, based on multiple there were some that were like autobiographical stories like a memoir and then there were some like the sally bowles character was fictionalized based on someone right, he had right. met so it was a mixture of fictionalized stories based on his time there and his actual like notes on his time so there. the jewish heiress stuff where you know the the couple were following um her and the guy in this version i mean they're going back to the original stories but it's entirely possible that maybe the original stories just don't have 
very good narrative structures, narrative resolution, the way we would want it as an audience of like, oh, how does their story close? Like, it could have just been very kind of slice of life of like, I knew these people and this happened. So maybe that's why we're sitting here of like, why, why do they just have a sort of happy ever after? I know that um, actually a lot of the stories and, and a lot of the themes of Christopher Isherwood's stories is that, you know, he got, he got out of Dodge. He went back to England, which I think he was where he was originally from when things were, when the party was getting dark yeah. and uh, a lot of the people that he wrote stories about and a lot of the, the friends that he had, um, he's like, yeah, I, I, they died horribly. Uh, and I actually, it's interesting that you said, cause I've only seen the revival and then I saw this, you know, the LFC production, but I didn't realize that in the original, um, original musical that, that there wasn't any indication of the lead character being just, just regular straight because, which is, I mean, I guess makes sense for the time, but it's really surprising to me. And I'm really glad then that they brought that back in because Christopher Isherwood is like noted gay. Um, and I think that that's sort of in, and I know that in real life, he went to kind of part of the reason he went to Berlin was for the opportunity to like live yeah. like openly as like, as, as a gay man or, oh. you know, I know he, sorry, are you talking about I, Brian? So, I'm talking about the real life person. Oh yeah. Bri that yeah. Brian yeah. is Who's modeled he? after. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, to me, that's like sort of an essential component of the story, at least as sort of, I created in my mind of various things that I had read and seen. So I'm, that makes me really glad that they put it, put that in, into the, um, into the show, into the, into the mu movie, because I think that that, because otherwise he seems like a total square. Um, mm -hmm. when in fact he was sort of just as outcast from society as, as, as the others. And, and on that note, I did see like, this is just like some Wikipedia stuff, but how a lot of like, Gay writers, queer writers have talked about the depiction, especially at the time, 1972, of bisexuality and various other sexual aspects of the film. And, you know, some gay publication, it didn't state which one, but had referred to it as the gayest winner in the history of the Academy for the Oscars. Yeah. Which I was thinking, I was like, as far as it being like outwardly gay, like characters yes. are explicitly gay and not like, yeah. you know, oh, that character is probably gay. You know, it's like, but just it's just no, explicitly stated like yeah, yeah. Pr probably uh yeah. yeah it was interesting i did see like isherwood talking about the film and he felt that they treated the gayness as like almost the butt of a joke kind of thing i saw that which i, don't I, I didn't see it as much i, don't I, agree I was thinking with, about yeah. it as i was watching they certainly did like transgender was the butt of a joke like yes. multiple times in the film Always. but yeah. his gayness i feel like they played pretty i thought that like, was really progressive you know, I liked how they played the um, fluidity of Brian. Like, I well, I will say, I, I will say that um, there were a lot of. Um, well, first of all, it's interesting that you know he is sort of explicitly said that he's been you know having an affair with Max, just like uh, Sally was. But like, we don't see that. We just see a lot of like heavy gazing and like being close to each other. Right. But I, I did, I did notice that there were a fair number of, um, like, like shocked, like zoom ins when, when he's like, and I slept with him too or whatever. And they did like a, like a, it whoop, was a like, 
I, was I thought like, that was a, a really good scene. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was so like. I, yeah. I could see how that could kind of feel like, oh, gotcha, as like a gotcha moment. But I mean, in general, like in comparison to it not being in the musical at all, I think is. I I I, I noticed it, but I didn't think it was poorly done. I think he gets even more in the mu- than in the musical. I think that you get a lot of like, you see a lot of him. Yeah. yeah, and his inner world. It's his story, and obviously, it's his story, and obviously, he's going to have you know his take on it. And but I, I, I was surprised reading that too of like that he was that uh, negative on that aspect of it. And you know, if, if you even beyond the affair aspect, not necessarily affair, but I guess the the thruple aspect of of the three of them and that revelation. Even before that, though, you have when. Sally is hitting on uh, Brian's character and mm. she's initially kind of bothered because it's like, oh, he wants nothing to do with me. And she's kind of like, you know, just bothered, like in a in a sense of that he's rejecting her. And then she's like, oh, wait, are you gay? Like, she's like, oh, do you like boys? And she like doesn't care. Like you can just like you can tell she's like, right. it does, she knows she clearly knows gay people from the club and from just her life. It does not affect her. She's just like, oh, what's the lay of the land here? Which that's pretty progressive for a 1972 film. Yeah. It was, there was so much progressiveness. Like, um, yeah, I, I thought the whole scene of like, um, uh, Brian and Sally confronting each other of just like, well, screw Brian. And she is like, I do. And he's like, I do too. <laughs> it's like so good. I'm just like, that's juicy as hell. Like, I love this. And this is 1972. Are you kidding me? Like, I will, I will say that, um, Max Maximilian is like, he's got ultimate, like, bisexual energy with that like, mustache. It's like almost like white. I and loved it. Just, he he's obviously like kind of like especially in com- in contrast to like the the growing violence and and the the yeah. beer hall scene he's obviously like like oh he's so decadent and rich and doesn't care about things and look at this like I think you could view him as like look at this like come this, on like debauched debauched bisexual just 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 being all. Being all I fucking loved sexy. it. Sexy. I thought that confronting each other was just so beautiful. Just like screw that him. A, I do. That was a, I do too. And I'm like, yeah. That was a, a a much. I will say that the movie felt quite like it was a long movie. It was longer than I expected because the 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 show was quite tight. Um and yeah, and yeah the the biggest thing that you know, I didn't feel like it dragged, but it went on for like quite a long time. Was the whole the whole Max the thruple thing the, the yeah. thruple of it all? Yeah, yeah. The the weekend getaway was it was kind of long. long. Yeah, yes. that that was my biggest um, critique. Walking out of it, you know, the second time here was that I felt the middle drags um, because it doesn't. You, you start to lose strong musical numbers. So yeah, you're you focused, don't. You don't visit the club. As yeah, you focus just like, on the ugh. drama of their relationships, which is fine, and it's not poorly done. I mean, it, it's it's just like you could have probably done it in less time, or even if you want to devote as much time, let's get a jazzy number in there somewhere, kids. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's do uh, a jazzy number, along. please. Toss something in there. Yeah. yeah. 
Here's a question, though, on the relationship. So we're definitely going to talk about Tomorrow Belongs to Me here. We should just go into <sighs> specifics on songs. I, I think we need to dive into songs in this film. And then I'm curious yeah. of any that got cut that would be worth noting. Um, but before we, before we do that, we have the... So I'm just going to skip over Tomorrow Belongs to Me. But we come to the end of that sequence and... Um, Prior, prior to this, Max had made a statement of, uh, oh, well, the Nazis will take care of the communists and then we'll just rein the Nazis in. And so mm-hmm. he makes that statement to Brian. Yeah, like, we'll film. take care of them. Yeah. So. And so then we have Tomorrow Comes uh, Belongs to Me, which we'll come back to. And then um, Brian has a really poignant line of, do you still think you can control them? <laughs> and then they get into this fancy Rolls Royce or some shit and then they drive off. And then later when they're back in town, Brian gets out and like the whole demeanor has changed between them. And Max is like furious and yelling at his driver to leave. And there's like these looks between them. Like what, what did we miss? What went down? It's like, I don't know if the movie is trying to imply stuff, but it doesn't want to do it because like, because of the time period. But like, I doubt they're like having sex in the back of the car with the driver in the front. So I, I, I know you're, I know, sorry, I didn't mean to No, you you're off. good. I, I just, I don't, because like, even when I read the Wikipedia description of everything, it made a mention of like following an enigmatic encounter between Brian and Max, which is like, yeah, that oh. is, I don't know what that's trying to get at. I don't think I noticed this. I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I, I noticed that too. And I, yeah, because yeah, Max like huffs off and then he like says something in German that wasn't translated in the subtitles. Um, and that's, and, like, that's the end know. of the relationship and now they're not yeah, going to Africa. I, I wasn't. I, they were never going to Africa. Uh, I when Liza Minnelli has that hat on, oh, um, but I I wasn't sure about that either because I I to an extent I thought maybe there was like a time break because oh. I also wasn't sure like is this like we see them getting into a car and the next time we see them they're in a car. Mm. But I was, because also, like, kind of practically, they don't have that much time to be having this affair mm-hmm. if, to be, you know, to have their big fight about it. But um, I agree. I thought that that was, I thought that that was interesting. And, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I both, yeah, I thought Max was an interesting addition as both sign of a, 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 somebody who was, um, you know, got that had that mustache. Um, but was also <laughs> sort of like the most like ru- kind of like ruling elite. Obviously, like he was a baron, even though it was a republic yeah. now. So he wasn't still a baron, but um, as opposed to you know everybody else who's either sort of like one of the like the under people or even the wealth uh, the the wealthy um, Landauer girl was Jewish. So you know, had Natalia. that whole other thing. Yeah, preventing her, so. Um, but in terms of the numbers, man, um, first of all, Joel Grey is a five foot five, terrifying little creature. <laughs> um, I love him, I love him, I love him, I love him. He is full of sexuality and charisma and menace. And I thought that... Yeah, he's terrifying, he's terrifying. Yeah, I, and I think that it's interesting that if I, I, of all of the cast... He originated the role mm-hmm. um, of the MC, and he was the only person who was brought back to be in the show. Because and actually, Bob, and actually, part of it is okay. Yeah, Bob Fosse wanted to play the MC. 
real bad. And the studio was like, we're not doing it without Joe Gray. (laughs) Yeah, they they told him, like, basically, he's set. So if you don't want Joel Gray, you won't be doing it. They're not doing it. Yeah. And I well I, another thing that I read that was interesting, sort of just and this is more about the the make production of the show itself, the musical eventually is is that when it first started running, I think in previews, the Joel Gray as the as the um, as the MC only had he had fifth billing after like Sally and Brian and the whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. And, Cliff, Cliff. Yeah. <laughs> Cliff. <laughs> Sally, Cliff, and then the old people, um, and then the MC, and and people were just so into him because he obviously had like well, yeah, his magnetism and his his role is sort of so ambiguous but yes. interesting that he eventually got like pushed like way up. So I thought that he 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 and he and he and uh, Sally sang all the songs. Yeah, except for tomorrow belongs yeah. to me. Yeah. In the film, every not single in the, fucking in the song. show, though, yeah. not right. No, no. Yeah, in the musical, they don't. But yeah. Another an, a question I wanted to ask um, of you guys was like, when you think of cabaret, uh, just like in a general sense, do you think of Liza Minnelli or do you think of Joel Gray? Because I think it's it's one or the other. Like someone. I think it's a split decision. I got into the game too late, and I just think of Alan Cumming. I yes! Also, I think of Alan Cumming too. <laughs> me too, played, me too, me so too. He, he played, if we're he being totally MC, honest. Yeah. Yes, he played the MC in the revival. And the revival is, uh, for all the film buffs out there, a pre-film Sam Mendes and a pre-film uh, – Rob, why am I forgetting his last name? Reiner. Marshall. Rob Marshall. Yeah, a pre-film <laughs> Rob Reiner. Reiner. It was made in the 40s. He plays um, the Sally no. role, right? <laughs> so Rob Marshall no. and Sam Mendes, who I think yeah. both have best Oscar films now under their belts, uh, were the ones in charge of the, the redo. So that's it was an impressive get uh, together. I mean, Liza and Joel both won Oscars for this outing. Uh, yeah, but I, I do always think of Alan Cumming too, because that was my intro to Cabaret. And I think, I think, yeah, and he, they, they definitely made the character like more bisexual and more, more ambiguous with the Alan yeah, Cumming version yeah. than the, yeah, yeah. They kind of like but leaned into it I don't even think harder. He's straight in this though, I don't get the vibe. No, not at all. But I think that they play up sexuality in Alan Cumming's performance, where I just don't think Joel Gray is playing very sexual. I think he's playing playful, and that's it. Because he's like, he he interacts with the women on stage in like sexual ways, but it's so campy that, like, that I, I I mean, me as a viewer, I don't like, I like, well, Joel Gray is gay, right, Katie? He's. Yeah. yeah, well, it's actually interesting because he was married for, like, I think he was married at the time that this came out. Oh, and, wow. Um, Gen- Jennifer Gray's daughter. Yeah, but that, I think... Holy shit! Like, I didn't know that till just now. <laughs> A lot of revelations coming hard and fast at you, Jess. Wow! Um, are you kidding? Was, wow, wow, wow. Was that, um... He, um... He he only kind of came out like officially came out like relatively recently, okay. like within the last ten years. But I mean, obviously he he has. 
Obviously, he has tiny gay energy. Um. <laughs> well, I, I just I feel like watching him perform, even if I didn't know or if I wasn't like making a guess or whatever, but uh, watching him perform it, it doesn't. The performance of what's the character's name? Uh, Master MC. MC. Yeah, MC Master of Ceremonies. Um, so when he's interacting with the cabaret girls, it comes off as campy and as an act. It's on the stage like he, like yes. like the act is part of the act like yes. it's like it's it's it, there's a falseness to like mm-hmm. it's so over the top that like you and the audience are i feel like if you were in the audience really at that show you were like oh yeah this this yeah, guy nothing's you know, happening playing it on like, real thick this here is so i think at best or at most it would be like an ambiguous presentation for him um but to answer your question jess i mean i'm too uh, new to you know the musical and stuff in general because I mean I saw the the stage production once I've seen this movie once and now again for the podcast so I mean I wouldn't necessarily think of like Gray or Manelli I mean I think they're obviously both key aspects or to be maybe honest, like which character yeah yeah to be honest my thing is Tomorrow belongs to me just because that had the most I'm, effect it's, on it's me iconic. in watching the film where I was yeah. just like holy fuck. That one uh, gives me other shivers. Great numbers mm-hmm. as well, but I think that um, I I mean I think that you know obviously like Liza is great in Minair Minair Minair. Oh Minaire. yeah, she's, Minaire. she's fantastic. I you know? wish we had done Minair in our production. But we did. Don't I, tell Mama. It's great. Uh, I will say I that. Love, don't tell Mama. I, I will say that um, that Minaire. her performance on. Okay. Um, her performance oh, on <laughs> maybe this time. It's all right. I get it. I feel this way too in my heart. Um, may, that maybe this time. Um, mm. it, in a way, I think it's designed to be like this because this is like her most sort of like personal. I mean, obviously Cabaret's personal, but her like sort of least flashy yes. number at the club, and they're like nobody's interested, None. and. It's let much less. It's more. I, I really get a. I get a pure Liza Minnelli vibe. I feel like they were just like Liza, just do what just you feel and do what Sally just would do. Sing. So there's a lot of like, I <sighs> like a lot of like faces and sort of big dancing. But that, she's that so really... good. Oh, she oh well, her her vocals on that. She was she only twenty six when she did this. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, on that on that number, maybe this time. So her vocals are great. And then also that's another part where I feel like it stands out from a lot of other musicals. She gets backlit by this blue mm-hmm. blue light that's hitting her. Mm-hmm. And so we get this like really interesting visual of like just the screen is just bathed in blue. But then we get that effect of when you have someone on stage and they're being hit with a light. And like whenever they move their hands, it's altering the course of the light. And so it's like creating that kind of like, I don't know what the exact effect would be called, but it's creating that weird kind of like shadow where you're seeing like rays and stuff shine through. It's just, it's it's gorgeous. It's it's known as a laser light show. Okay. Thank you, Chris. (laughs) It's it's gorgeous to look at and it's incredibly cool to see. It's it's also something that, that, that kind of, I think, staging and, and filming of a, of a musical number really sets mm. this apart from, you know, there's not as many laser light shows in The Sound of Music. Kind of yes. And I do think, again, like, <laughs> Fosse in directing this scene, like, he does, he brings a lot of neat stuff to a lot of the numbers, and in mm-hmm. this one, like, she's singing her heart out, we're really into it, and then we cut to the audience, and it's like, 
no one's here for this. Like, no, no one wants this. to no see this. Like, like, we don't want to see the real you get up there and sing songs about sexy times. Like, this isn't what we're here Sex for. Sex and money. We didn't come for like, ballads. We didn't come for ballads. Uh, Speaking of money, I think money, that money, 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 money. I thought that was just in the in the in the show, both the the revival Wait, you and and. and no. Okay. She's, she's going to tell us. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just give her a second. She's mid-sentence. I hate this musical that I previously said I love. Jess, have, I mean you, is... have you been drinking tonight? She's <laughs> been drinking on camera. Well, I'm, some I'm, just, I'm just nervous because I'm very protective of the cabaret. So. Right. No, hey, Katie I, Coleman, no, what do you yeah. think about the song, Money? Well, yeah. I think that it was one thing that really stood out to me is that it's a chorus. It's it's a it's a chorus number in the the productions that I mm-hmm. have seen. You know, with with the Kit Kat girls, and something about it just being Liza Minnelli and Joel Grey like shimmying their way back and forth across the stage, and is I thought was so funny. It's it was so, so effective. Good. It just it was. It was different. It was a one thing that was like really staged quite differently than what it was in the musical. And I was just, I, I thought it was just a really fun number. And then by the time it came into the movie, we needed some fun numbers. Like mm-hmm. it was things where it was, we were really knee deep in the relationship drama. And I thought that was that one just, Yeah, that one stood out to me. Yeah, what money, about, uh, money is excellent. Like they. What about you? Oh. <laughs> No, you go. I want to. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, yeah. Um, I I loved the money number, and to the point where I was like, I'm pretty sure the chorus was in this when we did it, but they're killing it on their own. Like, were we in this? Uh, yeah. But it was so it was so fucking good. It was just like, I don't know. They play so well off each other, and they're so they're both so theatrical and just like, ugh. The big facial movements and just like, I don't know. I thought money was a really excellent number for the two of them. Yep. Chris, what besides Tomorrow Belongs to Me, which I I agree is sort of in a like separate <laughs> dark category. Um, sure, sure. What, uh, <laughs> what numbers really stood out to you? Um, I think definitely Cabaret, like the finale number. Um came off really powerful on this one um and it's kind of weird where a lot of the things i really like in the musical kind of didn't play out in this movie so i was more into the non-musical parts of this musical than i was the musical parts yeah i think they do a fun job with a lot of the songs but like looking through the song list right now you know you only have a handful of songs compared to you know 20 in the musical mm-hmm. so will they'll come in it kind of was by the numbers. It's the intro to the show. I feel like it's pretty standard. It's great. Joel Gray's great, but it's yeah. kind of what you come to expect. And then looking through, you have Mine Air, maybe this time, the Money Song. And if you could see her in Cabaret, is that mm-hmm. all of the songs? Mm-hmm. There's two ladies. Two ladies. Oh, they yeah, do yeah, two, two ladies. ladies also. Yes. Yeah. So it's like all the songs were good, but I don't think they were like what the mu- movie was about for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah the um, yeah the, I I I think that I didn't realize until sort of we're talking about it is is that how genuine you know in general um, the 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 rest of the pu- people in the Kit Kat Club are not used they're like 
they're, they're not really used at all. Most um, of them are renamed. And, Most of the characters in the entire thing are renamed for well, whatever they, reason. They don't explain the telephones at all either because the musical has the telephone song. Where we you... know what telephones are, though, so we're good. <laughs> we know the telephone song, <laughs> but like they don't explain it in the movie at all. And I'm like, people are going to know what this is. We get the, it. We the, get te- it. the telephones were probably very expensive in the 30s yeah. in Berlin. They, I didn't, <laughs> it didn't really occur to me. I was like, wow. I mean, they're close circuit, so but they put some money into that. Also, that was another thing that Isherwood <laughs> had mentioned. And when Isherwood was like criticizing the film, he was like, this film doesn't understand how poor everyone was. Yeah, I saw that. Um, well, their, their, their makeup sure made them look real poor. Because um, it was some <laughs> dark All right, other musical things. Uh, so one one note I had was, and I can't exactly pinpoint it. It like right now on the podcast, if I had it playing, I would be able to say what it is. But I'm pretty sure it's in the main song Cabaret, and it might be like during the main chorus of it. But it really sounds like part of the melody is the melody for springtime for Hitler. And I wondered, and, and I, so the, that's just the movie, obviously this came out in 72, but it's based on a, a musical that was in 66. Mel Brooks's the producers came out in 68. So it made me wonder. And since they have a, a Nazi focus, I wondered if he was riffing a little bit on a very famous musical that was out at the time of cabaret. Um, Cause there was just like some, some notes in there that I like sounded very similar but I didn't know if there was anything else of like springtime for Hitler or anything from the producer. I think actually the first song Vilkeman has a pretty similar melody mm. to springtime for Hitler. Yeah. Okay. I'm guessing they use it like uh, as an inspiration. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that's, 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 that's what it is, Jess. It's the, yeah, that's the same cadence. Yeah. Yeah. Springtime. Yeah. It's like, so there's that. And I did read that, I guess in blazing saddles, um, when he has Madeline Kahn as like the German cabaret singer, she she has a line of dialogue that references, I think that song. She says like the same thing that the MC says or something when she gets introduced. Madame's uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> like yeah. yeah. So uh, so he it was clearly on his radar. All right. So that was one uh, little note I had there, and then the other was okay. tomorrow belongs to me. Mm-hmm. That song is mesmerizing, that section, that sequence of the film. Um, if, if you haven't seen you know, the, the show or the, the movie, and then you guys can fill me in on how it's, it differs in the show, because uh, I don't Ooh. remember. But in, in this, the, the, our lead, Brian, and Max, his, uh, his thruple lover, are out at like a country restaurant, and there's just a bunch of Germans out there. And then you've got this like 18 year old or younger kid who starts singing this, uh, this like stirring folk song and he's blonde hair and blue eyed. And you're kind of like, oh, I know where this is going, um, <laughs> but it's like shot up by his head. And then there's this slow pan down where you see that he's wearing like a Nazi uniform. Like, um, you know, he may have even been like the the kids. Uh, what were the kids called? The, the Hitler Youth. Hitler Youth. So, he may have, yeah. so he may have been like a, a Hitler Youth. I'm not entirely sure his age, but so he's wearing that the the brown uh, you know uniform, and then he obviously has the swastika. But the the presentation of that shot coming down mm-hmm. is incredibly effective. But then the way Fucking the rest killing. of the scene plays out is 
people start singing along people and it's the the song which is completely original to the musical and some people thought it was an actual like nazi theme and they accused the creators of like you know propagating nazism and they're like well we're jews and we wrote this as pretend but okay um but so it, it becomes this kind of like stirring theme and people start standing up and singing along and uh you know it's a it's a very powerful and horrific sequence and i will mm-hmm. watch it out of context sometimes of just because of how well it's done it's so the, the fact great. that you watch it out of context by itself sometimes is terrifying no 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 out of context of the whole thing but the context of that whole that sequence is not out of context because you know no. what's going on in that because you have yeah. the old man character in that scene Katie, who doesn't the, stand up i know i'm not saying i'm not saying that it's not incredible i'm not saying it's not an incredibly well done and complete you know, mini story in and of itself. I'm just saying that it's like, you know, when you're, you know, I, when I go back to rewatch something, you know, and it, to, to feel a certain kind of feel, it's usually like about a dog or sure. <laughs> you know, like a nature documentary. So then you're like, you know what? I really want to like Sometimes be in this. <laughs> Lyndon's feeling too good and he needs to bring it down. <laughs> I know I, it's, it's an impressive work of art. I will also, I would also look at it's the painting fantastic. Guernica and not be bothered by, you know, like, there's a point to that work of art, Katie. Litton sometimes just pulls up Guernica on his phone sure. and just spends a couple minutes. I'm going to do, like, a lower third, just Linton not affected by Guernica. <laughs> I, I, I want to say that, um, first of all, I agree with you. I think it's terrifying and tremendous. I love that. And, it's a and... good part of the show, yeah. I um I think that one of the things that you'd mentioned earlier, either you or Chris, had talked about the, those extreme close-ups. Yeah. And they are used very effectively it's in this number. so disturbing. Cause, yes. Because you see, it's like you see the, the, the change or like the, the thing that's like coming through yeah. from people who otherwise were just like, yeah, I'm at this beer hall. Nope. There's like tears in their eyes. They're like so passionate about this song, like that they're singing. It's disturbing. All right. It's fucked up. I'm 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 ready for the monologue I called dibs on earlier about this song. Proceed. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, counsel. <laughs> um, no, I. Uh, the differences between the song in the movie and in the stage version. Yes. Um, I think the same, the song has the same, it's going for the same effect in both versions. Mm -hmm. It's basically saying, like, watch this go from a lone voice to, you know, it's kind of showing the populist movement in Germany growing. Like, you, when the child starts singing the song, you see some of the people in the crowd and they're like unsure what they should do, but like each verse in the song builds on the last and like crescendos into a beautifully horrifying thing. Um, so in the movie, we see that, like, you're in the beer garden and you just see kind of the population doing it. In the stage show, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, it comes at the end of, there's a there's a scene where uh, the German uh, Christian, I don't know what she is, the, the landlord and the For Jewish Lane man Schneider, kind of yeah. an, announce they're engaged and it's in in a setting with a lot of people there. And one of those people is a Nazi armband and all. But we don't um, know he's a Nazi until No, I think we scene. do. Oh yeah, no. that's when we learn he's a Nazi. So we learn he's a Nazi then. I, I only want to I'm sorry. I know this is you said this yes. was a monologue. 
but no, I, it's it's not. This is this. I mean this. I and I bring it up because truly, uh, I, I was watching from the back when um, they they you had that scene in in the stage production because it was Tim. Uh, mm-hmm. As the um, person who we'd met a couple times before in the show, getting English lessons, and he sort of seems like a fine, like regular guy. And they guy. changed that character and that, so much, yeah. Uh, and then um, he's like, "Oh, like uh, he's like ready to party." And he takes his suit jacket off, and you see his armband. And I'm telling you, I there were gasps. From the audience. <laughs> I could hear them gasping at this. Like there was no dialogue happening. It was not like you know there wasn't nope. a spotlight on it. It was this. But it was this incredible, like, you know, visual storytelling that, like, I could hear people reacting to. So I want to tip of my hat to you, Chris, because wow. I thought that that um, <laughs> was one of the times where I've, I've seen, I've heard people, like, reacting to something that's not, that's a, that's a part of the show, but is, it truly, people were like, oh, shit, it got real. Yeah. <laughs> it, it continues to get real so I just wanted to mm-hmm. mention that and then you can go on I'm going to completely derail this conversation for just a minute to tell yeah. a story about all of the props that we used for the shows that we did we would keep in my basement and we had done this show we had also done the show The Foreigner which features a few members of Ku Klux Klan outfits The Foreigner um, and it's some point, I realized that a man came to check our electrical meter in the basement and walked through a bunch of swastika armbands and Ku Klux Klan hoods to get to it. And that's why we got a storage space. <laughs> not that's a good a, look. Not a good look. It wasn't a good look. All right. So did he fix your electricity or did he storm out? He just read down he the went up to Chris and, and said. Solidarity, oh, brother. The foreigner. Yeah, no. I never mask paid for electricity ever, again. <laughs> it's going to be a maze. <laughs> yes. Um. Anyways, in the stage show, you find out that he is uh, a Nazi character, and he's very uncomfortable. And he's like, you know what? I'm getting out of here. And he's got a vibe of like, I'm going to go tell on you all. Uh-huh. Um. He's uncomfortable. He's like disapproving of the marriage and, and then one right. of the characters yeah the character stops him and is like how about this mm-hmm. and she starts singing the song tomorrow belongs to me and it's just her at the beginning oh, so and then good. you know another character or two joins and they're doing it very much to like appease him personally mm-hmm. and i think the other thing that makes it a little more powerful than this movie version and the movie version's plenty powerful on its own is that it's all the characters that you've been watching the whole time joining in on the song um, you know, you don't have Cliff, the uh, the Brian character, joining in or anything like that, but you have everybody else like joining this roaring German anthem just to appease this one person, and it kind of like, and you see it grow organically in that space. Like even these people who might not agree with it are still there gotcha. and on board and, and just like trying to keep it. everybody happy yeah and it gets it gets yeah. big and they get into it and it's i think it's really powerful it got yeah. uncomfortable yeah also. it was that was one of the coolest moments on stage like just being like oh fuck this is terrifying like what we're doing this is what i scary. what i think is you couldn't do something like that in this show because like there kind of aren't really many of that side characters um but so instead you have like sort of like you kind of got like the country as kind of a whole 
but yeah, there there is suddenly a you know you're watching it, and obviously like you know, you know what you're watching, you know it's set in 1930s Germany, um, but suddenly like suddenly that sense of safety is like taken away mm-hmm. um, in the stage show because you're like, oh yeah, I remember you. You're the one who like plays the the, the accordion, and then nope. you're the one who. And so then you're suddenly like, oh, no. So you're all part of it now. Cool. You're part of it. <laughs> so I think that it, it definitely, it does have sort of um, a much more, like, intimate vibe in the in the show than in the film. But mm-hmm. the film is also, you're like, I see how this happened. Like, there mm-hmm. is a sense of, like, oh, this is how it happened. Yes. There is another there's another thing that Fosse did in the film that I really enjoyed. It was like in the first in the opening maybe half hour of the film, people would be going about their daily whatever and talking and there was always like a radio on in the background with like the news oh, and like the yeah. Nazis talking. And I thought it was really interesting that it was kind of everybody literally ignoring the news like, that was cares, being fed into whatever. their ears yeah. to like do the laundry or work on a puzzle or whatever they were doing in that main room of the house. Like, so I thought that was really interesting that he was, because that's one of the big themes of the show and the movie is kind of like, I don't even know how to describe it. Not, not taking part in, you know, the, the evil is growing around you, but you're like, Oh, I I don't have to play into it. I don't have to be a part of it. I can just ignore it and move on with my life. And I think that was an interesting director choice and it's all in german so you can't really tell unless you speak german what they're saying but you know you hear the word nazi every once in a while things like that well, going in the background i really enjoyed that through line in the movie especially because it was like oh like the early scenes you see a nazi trying to enjoy the cabaret he gets thrown out and gets beaten up uh, and they're like no we won't have you here and then the middle of the movie is when you see, um, or no, uh, so later on, um, you see a, a fucking murder scene where Nazis have killed a person, and they're like, and the guy, Maximilian, I think, says, like, oh, well, you know, as long as they're taking care of the communists, we can control them later. Yeah, that's when they drive past Crystal Dog. Yeah! Uh. And and then uh, then halfway through, you know, you get the Tomorrow Belongs to Me, and the line is, like, do you still think you can t- control them? Like, it's going out of control. Like, you're not gonna stop this. And then, like, yeah, the, end, the last scene is Joel Grey, you know, looking into... Uh, the barrel again and it's panning over the crowd and it's all it's all Nazis it's all Nazis and he runs away it's it's terrifying I can tie this into a question that teased he would ask us later Um, I think that it's interesting in the film in the stage show I feel like the Sally Bowles character is much more guilty of what we're talking about than she is in the film. Um, She seems like, in the film, it makes it seem more like forced by circumstances Mm -hmm. to stick around, or she also gets the maybe this time number, which I think makes her a more, it's like a very sympathetic song for her, which in the stage show, I feel like 
there's not a lot of sympathy to be had by her. Yeah. Um, but there is a moment in the stage show where she kind of is saying the same thing that the Baron is saying in the movie where she says, it's all politics, it's not going to affect me. And then, to answer Linton's question, the most beautiful song in the show for me, I Don't Care Much, mm. is sang by the MC. It's like a very solemn, like, oh, I forgot soliloquy about that song. of a song. Wait, is that in the it's movie? Beautiful. Mm-mm. No, it's not it's in the movie. It's not in the movie, no. Um, so he kind of comes in and he's singing a song on I stage. I love that movie. I love that song. Just go ahead and license it and play it on this podcast. I'll pause. Uh, it's just a beautiful song. Um, and it's it's one of the things I'm missing from, like, it's very raw and emotional, and yes. and I just love it so much, and it's not here in the movie. We don't get we don't get that kind of catharsis mid-movie <laughs> that we do in the show. What is the MC's goal or, like, what is his driving emotion? Like, yeah, he's kind of chaotic in this, and I think I don't care much really grounds him. Uh, yeah. And with where it comes in the show, it's kind of like him and Sally Bowles mm-hmm. and like the whole the whole club kind of thing. Like, why are all these people still here singing and dancing? This is why. Um, One, I wanted to talk to you guys about sort of, I mean, I wanted to talk to you guys about the character of Sally Bowles. Um, mm. Since, you know, she's, you know, the MC is obviously, you know, obviously, you know, very iconic and has all these great moments and is very visually iconic. But I think that Sally Bowles is a really, um, you know, we don't get that many like kind of deliberately unlikable female leads that are sort of like the the female protagonist, but like she kind of sucks, but like we still sort of get her motivations. And I thought that Liza Minnelli did did a good job. I do think yeah. she got like a pretty sympathetic edit, so to speak. But um, what did you guys think? I also thought that her hair made her look like she was on Star Trek. No oh, I did not like her hair at all. <laughs> well, okay, two things. Um, but uh, I thought she I... was like manic pixie dream girl version zero point five. Like yes. She's trying like, to manic pixie dream girl herself. Like she's trying to be it. Yeah, be I was like, this is it. what it's gonna be. Uh. <laughs> manic pixie nightmare girl. So, yes. <laughs> uh, so two things. Uh, well, her style and everything, the hair. She's actually basing that look on uh, a specific actress who did go to Berlin and was like a film actress in the twenties and thirties. So her father. Um, Vincent Minnelli, I think, who mm-hmm. was a, a mm. stage and screen director and everything. Um, she had actually gone to him and said, oh, I'm going to do this movie. Should I look at like Marlena Dietrich or something as inspiration? He said like, no, 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 no. You look at this lady. And I don't have the name in front of me, but but it was an actress of the time, uh, of that time. And so she actually based some of her performance on that actress. And then the look is specifically, so if you look at like photos, you know, the hair and everything is definitely drawing from that. Um, I can't really speak to how her character compares to the stage version, obviously, but I will say that I did see that the original writer, um, thought, you know, she was, she was like, she's talented, she's good, but he thought she was actually like too good because Mm -hmm. she's a legit good 
singer and actress and as he views that real person his view of that real person was that she wasn't good she wasn't a good Mm -hmm. singer or actress that she had kind of illusions of of that she could be that that he thought she was still sort of like mesmerizing on stage just because she just kind of owned it it was just like kind of like oh fuck it but he said you know he thought you know Manelli um was just kind of too good to fit that and I read that and I remember you know like earlier today and I was thinking like yeah, but that doesn't make for a good musical, dude. Like, no, we can't, like, we have a lady up there who's, like, singing <laughs> real <that> shitty. <laughs> yeah, it's like, so problem. So I, I think on that aspect, I think you one way you could at least receive the film, I don't know how the, the play, uh, you know, the musical goes in this version, but I think how mm. you could receive the film is that she has this belief that she could make, no, you know, make it or was... whatever. Well, hang on. She, she has perfect. this. Okay. She has this belief that she could make it or whatever, but that doesn't mean that she will. I mean, we know plenty of times where like people have been super talented at something, but they just they just aren't able to break into an industry or they're not in the right yeah. time and place or they don't have the connections or whatever. So I, I think that's it's a different way of presenting it. I don't think it's necessarily inherently wrong, but his version of like, oh no, she should go up there and sing a bunch of songs and just suck at them. It's like, nah, nobody wants to watch that. No, no one. Well, if you've watched some like Disney movies that were like live action children singing uh, from the seventies, <laughs> they couldn't sing and they were fine. Well, I was gonna say that like, uh, I think that Liza maybe did take her performance down a little bit. Like, I think a lot of her performances sound rough in this. And I think she was doing it on purpose to seem relatable. Like, I I can see her as someone who is struggling to come up. Like, it completely sold it for me as, like, yeah, you're talented, but, like, I don't know what you're missing. You're you're missing something. Lynn, yeah. I, I, agree, I agree with, I agree with you that, I think that that, yeah, you're supposed to get the sense that, like, you know, Sally's Sally's a, is is a cabaret singer, but she's not like a Vegas singer. Um, mm-hmm. that, now that the Vegas really existed, um, but like you know that she is supposed to sort of be like, no, we know that you're never gonna like make it big, but you're like talented enough. But the problem is, is that if you're conveying that in a musical, you write a musical for like someone who's really good at singing mm-hmm. so it doesn't it, it 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 the form fights that yeah um i agree it's like okay yeah but like what does that look like in reality right yeah like show me an answer for that of like what it looks like keeps dragon keeps <laughs> dragon is right he's you know what where was that kid he? can't sing he was fine <laughs> you're knocking candle in the wa- on the water or whatever the hell it is um but yeah, I thought she was, she was obviously, you know what it is, I will say, I think that there were a couple moments where Liza Minnelli, obviously, I, I don't know if, I don't want to, you know, ruin the illusion <laughs> for you guys, but she had makeup on during the show, did the movie? Mm-hmm. What? Um, what? Is, is, is that her makeup? I like, <laughs> sorry, can I interrupt you one time very quickly? No. Yeah. <laughs> for an amazing joke. Please. Uh, we were talking earlier about how poor they were and how bad their makeup was. I like that the thinking is like, we're so poor, we have to put on way too much way makeup. Way too much makeup. <laughs> what else Take are we going to do? <laughs> right. We don't want you to look at our real faces because we know you will you won't pay for, the, for that. Like, I can't afford anything except Take on all bad this makeup. makeup. Yeah. Let's do it. 
is that um is is that like even like I she there were times where I she her makeup could have been running down her face a little bit. I think that there were there were there were times that that she was Sally Bowles is supposed to to me is you know should be trying to be glamorous but like she's supposed to be a little bit of a mess yeah so i think that that um there was only like one or two times but oh yeah when like when max like came into their room with champagne which is like don't do that to me ever that was <laughs> don't so surprise weird. me like that but like she, her, she but yeah that was when she looked imperfect her, she woke up and i was like mm, i'm supposed to, i'm pretty sure that those eyes are going to be like down to your nose <laughs> So, yeah, I, I could have done with more runny eyelashes for sure. Yeah. And just fake eyelash technology has really improved mm-hmm. like, a lot. You know, it's really come to come, come along. Also way. guys, they did the first Spider-Man kiss. Brian and Sally did a Spider-Man kiss. Well, they were horizontal, and Spider-Man was vertical. <laughs> well, yeah, it was a lot easier for them, but shooting-wise, it was that. Brian had the webs. There was they were in a New York alleyway. Exactly. Can we the essential component? Speaking Wait, of Chris, uh, some, uh, have you talked couple. about Cliff versus Brian yet? Nice Cliff. It's fine. I needed you to Cliff talk about Brian. Cliff is not a real Why? name. Why are they changing it to Brian? Because <laughs> he's British now. You can't have a cliff in England. A are cliff you kidding is, me? doesn't exist in England. It'd be called a ledge. <laughs> Clifford. I don't know. I think that you've never heard of the white cliffs of Dover. <laughs> Ain't no cliffs hell. in England. That was effectively false. <laughs> <laughs> This is off the rails. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Brian, Brian does Brian does feel like too modern a name for Brian. Brian. That might because I don't know, I know a lot of Brian. Sally Bowles so. and Brian. <laughs> Jess God, is what? in like yeah. full on uh was it a black sheep cool. or Tommy cool. Boy I'm sorry, going with Rowan's Rudes. Sally Bowles and Brian. <laughs> I guess. Come All right. On. So, uh, on. on other matters, uh, it was brought up here about a Spider-Man kiss. Um, so that was going to be my segue here. With uh, there are a couple like production aspects that uh, I haven't thrown out there. So uh, I read that Fosse actually really wanted this job and was pushing hard for it, um, but because he had directed Sweet Charity, which was an adaptation of uh, another musical, that was a failure. And so they weren't too sure if they wanted to go with him because that was like a couple years prior. And they were looking at more seasoned directors who were not explicitly musical or musical theater directors. They were looking at Billy Wilder, Joseph Mankiewicz, and Gene Kelly, who, you know, obviously does have, you know, extensive musical background. They were all considered, but the uh, producer, Cy Fewer, ended up convincing the studio to go with Fosse because he was like, well, look, this movie's going to live or die on its musical numbers. And uh, if, if we don't get those right, then this whole thing tanks. And so that's how they yeah. were able to sell them on Fosse, which was it's the also, right choice. Also, I, I saw that Menkowitz did Sleuth that year. So we got Sleuth out of the hey, deal, too. Sleuth is real good. Um, we did Sleuth on the show. It's not Fosse's fault that um, Sweet Charity fa- 
flailed. That musical's a mess. It's an up. It, it's got one big good number, and that's Big Spender. Just hey, big put it, Spender. Take that out and then put it in the trash. The other thing I saw was that so this movie Cabaret was filmed in West Germany. Um, and apparent, and so they filmed a lot of it, you know, like exterior shots, but then they had some stuff that was within a, a stage that was there, whatever city they're filming in. Um, and so I was reading that apparently prior to filming, Fosse would complain every afternoon on the set of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory because that film was mm. overrunning and stopping him from starting work on the same stage. So he was just getting <laughs> furious with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Because he couldn't it all comes full circle for my Willy Wonka channel comment earlier. Yeah. Wow. That, um, Look at us go. Here's another little cabaret fact. It's more about the musical. Did you know that, that it was you know way back before it? was being sort of actually came to states that this was being sort of presented as a possible Julie Andrews. Ooh. Like she was going to be Sally Bowles. <laughs> and, and then unfortunately, the, or fortunately, Julie Andrews, people were like, um, <laughs> no, we, no, Sally Bowles. Like she, they're like she, her, 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 that's not the look we're going Wouldn't for, she have for, been for too Andrews. old for the character by 72 anyway? Not well, not that she musical. was old. Oh, originally well, no, no, for the, the musical. Mu gotcha. Yeah, okay. the, the musical. Um, but uh, I just like to think that she just jumped from Nazi musical to Nazi musical throughout <laughs> just, her career. Boom, boom, boom. Well, no, no, she wanted to be in the the morally good Nazi musical. You know, not the not the the not the one where she has to get an abortion. <laughs> um, I mean, does, that said, does, I don't, that, don't, does, does that happen in the play in the musical? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in yeah. the in the musical, is there is there a thruple or or is it just a different scenario no. that they're in? No, because we talked about a oh, little no, he originally. Was he, he was, was originally straight, straight yeah. and so they added bisexuality to the character in later versions of the musical. But because it wasn't in there from the beginning, there's not like an overarching storyline that contains it. Yeah. But Sally does have like a boyfriend, like like whose name is Max. Or the director yeah. in the sh of the cabaret is Max or something like that. So does is it does it play out the same in the musical of where she gets an abortion because she wants to stay with the cabaret? Is it the same kind of setup? So yeah. in the in the musical, and he's also he invites her to like kind of run away, come back to America with me, um, he's and American. he gives her a choice for a better life, um, a normal life, and she <laughs> kind of just shuts that down. And joins the cabaret, and that's where it ends. Is her, her singing cabaret? Is her being like, "Nope, this is my life. Um, I don't want the comfort. I want the razzmatazz." This version of stardom is right. Yeah, I want the like dirty spangles of the world. <laughs> Basements, please. Basements only. Dirty spangles. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other aspects we want to throw out there before we wrap up? I will say, technically, I also uh, learned how old school strobe lights worked by viewing yeah, this film. Yeah, that was crazy. So I was pretty into that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, what um, specifically? I may have missed that. I may have been uh, It was notes. during, was it the one of the numbers? Two ladies, I think. Uh, oh, two there ladies. There was just someone so cranking a wheel yeah. on a spotlight <laughs> that was, like, turning it on and off. Like like a wheel circle system. Yeah, it was. it was... 
it was yeah they they did some really interesting things there that was also the number where they were just like under that big sheet i love for, like, it a long time so good. and <laughs> i i was just like i'm ready for you guys to be out of that sheet let's <laughs> go out let's pop one out i'm ready for you guys to come on out now <laughs> Um, um, I think there's so much to talk about that we didn't talk about, but yeah. I just wanted to, I only glossed over it earlier, but the cinematography on the movie, like, is so well done for a musical of its time, especially. Um, I did, it's just on that, really well I, I did read, I, I, I'm not sure who the cinematographer is offhand, but I did read that was one aspect of Fosse wanted to use the same guy he had on Sweet Charity. And even though the producer brought Fosse on, was able to bring the, you know, get the studio behind him. That was one part where they like drew the line. They were like, actually, we thought that was one of the things that didn't work in your last movie, so we're gonna go with somebody else. So the guy they mm. brought on, the guy they brought on is the same guy who did Richard Donner's Superman. And oh. he also did Two Thousand and One by Stanley Kubrick. Oh, yeah. And he that's... had a uh, lengthy career, but okay. those are the, the big ones that I saw. Those are pretty big. <laughs> one's pretty big. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just say like um, so I had growing up in the nineties, like I had an opinion of Liza Minnelli, like she became a punchline at that point and was just kind of like, I don't, I'm not familiar with her work, but I know that people make fun of her a lot. Right. Uh, and watching this, I'm just like, she was fucking spectacular. Like I, she fully deserved this Oscar. I, I'm obsessed with her performance. I just think she's so beautiful and so good. And like, yeah, that kind of a blueprint for the Minic Pixie Dream Girl, but not obnoxious. And it's what no, an she was obnoxious. She was obnoxious. She uh, maybe yeah. a little obnoxious. A lot. But... A lot. <laughs> no, I like I said, her, I think they though. give the character too her. much away. What'd you say, Chris? I just. I said, like I said, I think they give the character too much leeway, and that's kind of like part of her magnetism too, and giving her the extra songs and a little more, and yeah. giving her less of the uh, join sing, starting a Nazi song mm-hmm. um, and things like that. Like it's a lot more friendly to her, even though it's not friendly to her. Uh, yeah, um, just a point, the of, movie. point of clarification. I thought you were saying in the musical version they all start singing the Nazi song as like basically a way to get him off their backs yes yeah, she starts so she well no, she I don't doesn't know if it's start it like close oh sorry yeah yeah sorry, sorry you're right you're right you're right but and it's not started to get them off their back as much as it is to like make him comfortable in the situation like, right but on, i i, I thought you were saying it as, you made it sound as though like she was embracing it no I, sally Bowles isn't even there okay at the party okay. is That's, is she yeah i thought she was I yeah, thought she was every- singing. Yeah, she does. She does start singing, and I, I think-, think everybody but the Cliff character and the two getting married are singing. Or, or maybe like she starts to sing. I don't think she's like Christine you know, Beam she- started singing. She was Fraulein Cos. <laughs> Got it. Oh yeah, she was like the weird. She was like, the- oh, Erin Ludwig, sing with me. Yeah, and she was like she singing. was the the weird roommate of the them yes. that was like trying to get to the bottom of everybody's business. Yeah. yeah. I- is Sally in the in the in the musical is is sort of like she just does it she she's just like yeah people like Jews what's a big deal people like Jews what's a big deal I, she she is um 
She does. She doesn't I care. Think she doesn't in, care. She's much. like she's too worried about herself. To I worry think about in the musical, anything else in the world. In the musical, it's more explicit that the Nazis are also gonna kill the uh, people in the Kit Kat Club, like because well, that's that against that, their that's, values as well. Like I think they're doomed I think that as that's well. That really sort of got emphasized more in the revival, like the very Correct. end. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, the writing's on the wall for everybody. I think. Yeah. They're just just don't realize the movie it's... didn't really say it, but it was like, oh, the MC is marching off and is like, I don't see him again. Yeah, he kind of looks like he's like hiding at the end. Yeah. So, yeah. Eh, I'm out of here. It's, Ooh, gotta it's go. Scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I'm like, yeah, all these people would also die, like, under the Nazi regime. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's why they don't have Cabaret, too. Go, 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 go. That's why. All right, on that note, <laughs> would you recommend Cabaret? Absolutely. I love this movie. I think it's so fucking good. Um, and it's also really fucking relevant to today. <laughs> When you have, like, your old biddies in the apartment complex where Sally lives being like, well, the the Jews control all the banks. And it's just like, where did you hear that? Where did you hear that? Facebook? Like, come on. It's, it's still so fucking relevant that I'm, like, upset. Remember when we didn't want our parents on Facebook just because we thought what we did was embarrassing? <laughs> the human, oh, I've, I've, I've said it before and I've, I'll say it again. Uh, the Facebook was ruined once they let the parents on. That, that was yep. the delineation point. It should have been a college point. thing. College thing only. Um, I will say uh, I would recommend this. Um, I think that in a way its reputation precedes it. You know, so I, I don't think that my... I, I definitely would recommend it, but I think in, this is a, a maybe of the the things that I've been on for the podcast. Thing definitely has the most name recognition, pop culture impact. So right, because um, this is the well, you were uh, you weren't on for the opening. Um, so sorry for that, uh, Katie. Join us a little late. This is the April Fool's Day switcheroo. So we do a few times throughout the year. We do a famous one. So that's what this is. Okay, this is is still kind of an uncanny movie. Uh, It's a little, there are times when the audience is like kind of grotesque. Anyway, I would recommend it. That's what I mean to say. I would also, I would would recommend this film. (laughs) I've said a lot about it. Um, Like I said, uh, the the things that Fosse has brought to the table, Mm. um, just like little bits here and there that he's woven in, um, you know, I always think of him as a choreographer more than a director, but uh, he added a lot of really smart stuff, a lot of really well shot stuff, a lot of really good choices going into this to make it what it was. So I would definitely recommend it. Can I also say that the pop culture impact of Cabaret, um, I think, is recognizable, like uh, Schitt's Creek um uh, they do a production of Cabaret and Stevie sings maybe this time. And it is one of my favorite performances ever. Um, I just, this this musical really like transcends and it's 
is beautiful. And yeah, I love that modern shows are doing it too. I do have one more memory I'll share from when we were doing the musical um, <laughs> that multiple people kept coming to me and asking me to put in some of these songs from the movie. And I was like, we're legally not allowed to do that. <laughs> Sorry. We have rights, and that's it. <laughs> I also don't have the sheet music, and uh, I want to do it. And I hadn't seen the movie at the time, so I was just like, I want to do what's written down here on this page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've already got, there's already a lot going on here, so I think we're good. Uh, yeah. All right, yeah. So for myself, I definitely would recommend Cabaret. Uh, like I said, I had only seen this for the first time a couple years ago. But after I did, it ended up, uh, I ended up getting a Blu-ray of it and joining my collection. And I have, you know, maybe like 10, 15, 20 max movies that would be considered musicals probably. Um, so it joined, a, you know, a fairly select grouping. Um, yeah, the, the way it's shot, the way it's presented, how kind of daring it is for the time, both the content but also the presentation of the content uh, is definitely what won me over. A lot of the songs are great. I'm sure there's great songs from the musical that aren't in it, as everyone's been discussing. Um, so I probably will need to like listen to the actual show sometime and listen to the songs and compare and everything. But the songs that are here, I like a lot, uh, especially you know several in particular. Uh, we already mentioned numerous ones. Um, performances are great. Like I said, it kind of dips in the middle when we're just focused on kind of relationship drama for probably too long uh Mm. or they just needed some razzmatazz in there but that's where it was losing me a little bit but uh the bulk of it i think keeps you going it it is a little over two hours um but yeah I, i think you know just that that would be my biggest uh critique of it but it does do a lot of really interesting things that other musicals don't especially like older musicals don't so if you're used to seeing musicals of the 50s, 60s, even into the 70s and expecting a certain style, you will get something different with Cabaret. So uh, that wraps us up for Cabaret. Uh, last bit here is Can I Find This? As I said, this is a very famous movie. It is for our uh, April Fool's Day switcheroo. So it is very widely available. You can find this on HBO Max, Apple TV, DirecTV, Watch Turner Classic Movies, some kind of app they must have. Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, Google Play, Redbox, and many others from just the list I was seeing. And then it is on DVD and it is on Blu-ray. And the Blu-ray is like a restored version because I guess the original negative of this film has been lost. They don't know what happened to it and it's gone. Um, So everything that they've worked off of, I think, is off of, you know, the secondary reels. There's an original negative and then they make reels when they send it out to theaters. So I think they've reconstructed certain elements from that. And then I guess there's kind of like a lengthy section where they were having trouble with the reconstruction and they had to actually like to make it all look right. And so make it look seamless, which I believe it does. They had to actually like hand paint like like colors in there to make it all look right frame to frame to fix things so they they did that for the more like the the 2013 blu-ray or something um they did a total like um reconstruction of everything and so the more modern version is is like how it's in theory should be looking but again they they don't know where the original negative is which is weird for a movie this modern usually that shit doesn't happen unless it's from like the 20s or 30s yeah, I understand when it's like the BBC and it's like the 
fourteenth Doctor Who episode since yeah. nineteen sixty one. I don't understand how this musical that won as, as many uh, Academy Awards as it did, no one was like nobody like kept track of that one. It's. I mean, I would say it's entirely possible, like with film shit, that it could literally just be in some can that's unlabeled somewhere. So maybe it's not like thrown out or destroyed, like how they wiped the Doctor Who tapes. But it could just be literally misplaced in a fucking Raiders of the Lost Ark vault that nobody gotta knows start where open, it is. Gotta open those cans. That's can, what I say. Canny cinema. Ah, you said that's ah. the name of the thing. Yes, I said the thing. Yes. You said the thing. Yes, I will be cutting but that. Not quite. Um, what? <laughs> we'll keep this in, you son there's of probably, a bitch. I think, fair, I think there's a fair amount that can be cut. We've, we've given you a lot of content here. No, I'll let, I'll let, I'll let, your, I'll let your terrible jokes stay, Chris. Uh, <laughs> all right, so that wraps us up here for Cabaret. If you want to find, uh, find it, it's on many of those platforms. Like I said, DVD and Blu-ray as well. So this is our April Fool's one. We are going to be back onto our uh, regular, more unusual uh, watches. And, uh, and for the next one, we're actually doing another little special thing. So this year is the 110th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. And there are two animated films from the late 90s, early 2000s called Titanic The Legend Goes On and The Legend of the Titanic. Both are supposed to be terrible. Both are like pulling from Disney as an idea. So think of like a Disney film, an 80s, 90s style Disney film, but you put it on the Titanic and you got like talking animals and shit. Uh, I'm fine with the second one, but the legend goes on. These are these are these are not these are not related. These are not connected. These are different production companies. They were released a year apart. Uh, I've never seen them. Sometimes lightning strikes twice. (laughs) They are both supposed to be bad. I think one is supposed to be particularly worse than the other. But I have a crew set up for that one. We are going to be. It's our first double feature, I believe. Yeah. Um, so I can't imagine watching... they're both more than 70 minutes no, long. No, that, that's, right? <laughs> that's pretty much dead on exactly what they are. They're yeah. about 70 minutes. I'm going to actually do a podcast on... <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure to leave this in, Chris, okay? Uh, leave it okay. in. Thank leave you. It in. Leave it all in. I'm going to do a podcast also on The Hindenburg Flies Again. <laughs> Schindler's List 2, checking it twice. Um, So so anyway, so we have two Titanic films to watch. Titanic, The Legend Goes On, and uh, The Legend of the Titanic are the two films. Again, totally different production companies (laughs) released, I believe, in 99 and 2000. Both supposed to be terrible. They it should be a wild and fun viewing and discussion for all of us. I think it would be great if you include... The James Cameron Titanic in the discussion also. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about jump, it. I'm sh- jump in between. Pepper it in. Linton, I have, um, it, I, it's shocking oh. that I still possess this, a, a DVD of a parody of the Titanic movie called Thumb Tanic. Oh, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, yeah. All of the people have thumbs. So, you know, if, in case, you know, you guys are. Have thumbs? All the people have thumbs. No, the face. The faces are on the thing, like they can be add like yeah. a face and nose no, I, to this, and then the uh, everyone are the people are the thumbs. I, 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 like, yeah, oh, I've never thing. seen any of them, but I remember. Well, that was a thing because they had Thumb Wars. I think is where it started. They did a Star Wars oh, okay. parody. That checks and out. Then, yeah, that makes and sense. And then they did a handful of other ones. I think all they were always like really. Oh big man, movies, handful, like, handful was a great uh, time. Uh, <laughs> 
but anyway, so uh, we're going very off the rails here. Um, that's been a theme for the whole Don't night here. During our... <laughs> yes, Jess has been a, a, a big portion of this going off the rails. Um, but yes, so we are doing a double duty for Titanic. So this will be released the week of, uh, of, of the anniversary. So April 12th is the anniversary, but this will be coming up, you know, like the few days leading up to that. So that will so be yes. So that will be our uh, our next viewing will be a double feature for Titanic. So uh, join us then.